here. We're so glad that you um, have decided to join us this morning. Um, So there will be a card in the pew in front of you that says connect, serve, pray, or give. Um, And if this is, if you want to connect with us and learn more about membership, or if you've been coming here and still have a little bit more questions about who we are, we would love to know that. Um, But if, and then you can place those in the offering boxes in the back or in the serving trays, or you could text CONNECT, if it pops up on the screen, yeah, to that number, and it will be the same form just online. And then one more thing before we get into our text this morning. So we have a super, super fun event coming up, the Valentine's Night Out. You have probably seen it. That's what it is. So it's $15 a person. And I'm not going to lie. When I first heard about this, I was like, I'm not going to go. I refused, and then I told my mom about it, and I was like, Mom, like, well, this is an event going on. She's like, go so you get boyfriend, and I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, I, that makes me want to go less, so, um, but then I was talking to Rachel and Jack, our lovely residents who are putting this together, and they were like, it's truly just a chance for us as a church family to come together and to fellowship with one another. You can dance or you cannot, um, but they will be food and just a lot of fun. Um, I know I'm excited to come together as a church and just have fun with you guys and just enjoy getting to know more of my Sunnybrook family. College students is a great opportunity for you to know older believers. This isn't a singles mixer or anything like that. It's seriously just for fun. Um, But back to why we're here this morning. Um, This morning we are here to gather together to submit under the word of God. And regardless of why you're here, if you're a student who was dragged here by a friend, or if you're coming in from out of town, or if your coworker asked you to come and you hesitantly came, um, we believe um, that you are in these pews for a reason, that the Lord brought you here so that you may, through his word and with the help of the Holy Spirit, know and see Jesus Christ, and that through Jesus Christ, you may be able to have a relationship with the Father. So... We ask this morning that you may have the ears to listen, and we pray that your heart would be responsive to this word. Um, So this morning, we will be in John chapter 1. So if you want to go ahead and flip there. We will be starting in verse 35, and it will be on the screens for you as well. The next day, John was standing with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this and followed Jesus. When Jesus turned and noticed them following him, he asked them, what are you looking for? They said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come and you'll see, he replied. So then they went and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day. So it was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. He first found his own brother, Simon, and told him, We have found the Messiah, which translated to Christ. And he brought Simon to Jesus. When Jesus saw him, he said, You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. He found Philip and told him, Follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter, Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and so did the prophets. Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth, 
Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nathanael asked him. Come and see, Philip answered. Then Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said about him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Before Philip called you, you were under the fig tree. I saw you, Jesus answered. Rabbi, Nathanael replied, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree? You will see greater things than this. Then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. This is the word of the Lord. Wow, Alexia, I don't know how intentional it was, but she nailed it. So she basically, in her introduction, when she was welcoming you here, she asked this question, are you here because someone dragged you here? Are you here because someone invited you here and now you are here? Well, we're glad that you're here, in which we totally are glad that you're here. By the way, that's point one of my sermon. Um, and then she went on to say, and by the way, now that you're here, what we really desire is that you see Jesus. And that by seeing Jesus, and she kept using that word seeing, it's like she knew the text. Uh, by seeing Jesus, you actually will find a relationship uh, with God because Jesus Christ has provided the way. That is point two. So thanks a lot, Alexia. Uh, but I'm going to unpack it a little bit, a little bit more, but I won't be able to do it. And I, tr I truly mean this. I won't be able to do it better than what she did, which means this. That there are these truths that come to us from Scripture that can be said in many or short words, and they are profoundly true. And, and therefore, as you leave this place today, may you realize that it's as simple as the introduction that she gave. It gets as deep or even deeper still than what we will now unpack. And truly, to follow Jesus Christ is nothing more than to, to, to see him and then have your eyes opened by the Holy Spirit in terms of who he is. And then the rest of your life is unpacking that. And it just becomes more and more and more. Um, but there is a profound reality that we strongly believe here as a leadership. That the Bible clearly teaches that there is no path to God. There is no peace with God outside of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we make so much of him. So if you have your Bibles, I'm, I'm going to try to do as good a job as Alexia just did uh, in, uh, from her sermon this morning. But if you have your Bibles, have them open to John chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 35 all the way through verse uh, 51. Um, it's, it's kind of a, a, a link to the text. Um, teachers, there are probably many of you in this room, do you know what it's like to walk into the classroom? And this probably happens a lot. And to look out at these younger people than you, because teachers are all different ages, these younger than you individuals, and just think to yourself, they don't appreciate me. Now, by the way, I don't mean they don't appreciate me. No, no, no. I, I mean, it actually hurts your heart. And, and not just like because they don't appreciate you, but they don't. They don't understand. They don't appreciate all that has gone into this. They don't appreciate the amount that I really love them and care for them. When I, I say, I'm here for you, you really mean it. And the kids are sitting there, thank you, Miss Johnson. Thank you. But you can tell by the way they said thank you. I don't think they fully understand or appreciate all that you are or all that you have done for them. Teachers, do you know what I'm talking about? For those of you that um, are somehow involved in supervising or caring for others, um, you might be a boss or an employer. Those terms just sound so uh, disconnected. 
so generic, but you know what I'm talking about. And, and you're not just somebody that's mailing it in. You're somebody that just genuinely cares. And you just look out at those people who you are overseeing. And you just think to yourself, I don't think they appreciate me. And again, your hands aren't on your hip. You want them to know how much you care. You want them to know all that you do. But you're even afraid to say it. Because if I start out by saying, do you know that I stayed up late last night? Do you know that I came a little bit early this morning? They're going to misunderstand it. They're going to think I'm just trying to draw attention. I'm not going to say anything. And by the way, sometimes that's wise. But what you're really wrestling with is, is not just some kind of preoccupied obsession with self. You're even realizing that those people that you're trying to love, they don't feel loved. They don't feel cared for. And you just want them to know what, what you really are like. You believe it'll be beneficial not just for you, but it'll be helpful for them. Moms. Have you ever looked out over your kids and just thought, you are so ungrateful? <laughs> right? And again, you're not, you're not mad. I mean, those days may come. I get it. I understand that. We're all human. But that's not what it is. It's just like, sure, you hurt. And, and then, by the way, you even chase that back. Uh, oh, I should have been more grateful to my mom. And I wish they were more grateful for me. And I, I think if they could learn just like who I am and all that I have done for them, I think they'd be more grateful in other places. I, I think that their whole life would actually in some way be better if they could understand. They could just appreciate. It's not just being thankful. It's connecting the dots and being thankful. Do you know the difference? It's not say thank you. You need to say thank you, son. Thank you. It's not that. It's, son, do you understand what it would actually mean for you to take a look around and, and then from, from your understanding of things for gratitude, for thankfulness to kind of well up and then spill out of you. Do you see the difference? And what we desire are not just Hallmark cards or just a real quick, hey, thanks a lot, but we're really wanting to be, I believe this, we're wanting to be the kind of people who understand and respond to teachers and the people that we work with, and our moms, like, right, I guess we're closer to Mother's Day, dads, whoever it might be. You know what I'm describing there. Is there anybody that would understand what that is like more than Jesus? Is there anybody that could understand, or at any moment could just literally just stop and to say, you have no idea who I am, no, no real appreciation for who I am, and for what I am doing, and what I will do for you. I'm not asking you to just empathize with Jesus. I'm, not, I'm definitely not asking you to feel sorry for him. I'm, I'm wanting us to try to understand what John is really driving at because John seems to be, here's the understatement of the morning, obsessed with Jesus. Obsessed with who he is and what he is about. To the point that Jesus, from the very beginning, stands front and center and great statements are made. He is the logos, the unifying force of the universe. But more than that, he is actually God himself. And nothing was made without him. Without him, nothing could be made. He is full of grace and truth. All these lofty terms to describe who Jesus is. So maybe that's why we shouldn't be surprised that, as Paul preached last week, that when John the Baptist, who had his own following, sees Jesus, makes it very, very clear 
Behold the Lamb of God that comes and takes away the sins of the world. I baptize with water, but I'm, what, what he does, it's on a whole different level. This, this understanding that John has it really gives us an understanding of what we're actually going to see in John's gospel and what you've probably heard a lot of people talk about in terms of what our responsibility is. It's not just to be thankful for Jesus. It's not just to be thankful for God. It's not just to say thank you. There seems to be an active engagement, biblically speaking, that when people discover, they, um, they, they arrive at the understanding of who Jesus is, that they say to others, you got to see this. Like, you need to come see this. Come and see. Literally, this isn't just a, a, a lesson about we have a responsibility to evangelize the lost. Have you heard those sermons? I've preached them. That's really not what's happening here. Although that, that, that idea is true. It's different. So when I, when I say this statement, we introduce people, bring people, and invite people to follow Jesus. I'm really not saying, you know what you should do. You know what you should do. You know what you're not doing. And you know what we should do. Now, by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying there's not like a, an impulse or a kind of an implied we should. But the text isn't like so-and-so was scolded or John reprimanded his disciples. No, John just said, behold the Lamb of God. And it looks like two disciples, one of them we know is Andrew, and the other one we, is unnamed. And uh, there seems to be this unnamed disciple in John's gospel, and a lot of people believe it's John. And all, all, all John said was, behold the Lamb of God. And it seems like Andrew and John went, then what are we doing with you? Right? Don't, John, don't take this personally, but honestly, if behold the Lamb of God that is coming to take away the sins of the world, um, love you, got to go. And John says, that's the right move. That, that, that he is really all of that. Yeah, we are the ones who introduce and bring people and invite people to follow Jesus. And it, what seems, what I love about this text is, is that's just what seems to happen rather naturally. Because when you find something that has that much value, that much worth, that much, uh, somewhat of a transforming power, that much of a, a fulfillment of something that you were looking for, even though you didn't know you were looking for it, it seems to be the, the natural response. I have spent too much of my life trying to manufacture something. Um, and I don't even know of a pastor that was trying to make me feel guilty. I don't know their heart. I don't know if they were trying to make me feel guilty. But have you ever heard a sermon about evangelism and you just thought, I'm not as faithful as I should be? Especially on this topic. I think partly that was the Holy Spirit convicting me of some things. But as I look through John chapter 1, the, the, the kind of peace I came to is not, you need to manufacture the feelings and come up with a plan and try to do more of that. It was, boy, I really need to know Jesus better. And I need to like see and respond to him so that I can watch the transforming power happen in my own life. And then everything else honestly just seems to take care of itself. We might do it to varying degrees, but I promise you I don't have to muster it up within me. Again, my apologies for those of you who know me. I don't have to muster up energy or the words to share something that I'm excited about. Amen for those who know me? <laughs> Like, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's unbearable, actually, to be honest with you. 
when I fell in love with UFC, you got to come to my house. You got to watch this. Have you seen this? Have you seen that? Um, pie five. Do you remember that place? I stumbled into a pie five. Eight days later, I thought, I need to go home. Like literally. <laughs> I went eight days in a row to pie five. How they went out of business. I thought I'd given them enough. They could outlast a pandemic is what I literally thought. Like, you know what I'm talking about. Have you seen, um, oh, there's a game where you, these blocks come down and two, then four, then eight, then 16, 24, 24, something like that. I, I, when I found that game, um, man, I, I got it, I got it. You got it. Have you, have you seen this game? Have you played this game? Like, that's just me. Right now, I'm absolutely enthralled with a particular book. Um, uh, and, and it's the Bible. No, actually, I love the Bible, too. I love the Bible, too. Um, but there's this book that I'm absolutely in love with, and I'm lying in bed, and my wife reads more than I do, uh, she, like exponentially more than I do. And she said, she's lying down, she's reading, I'm reading my book, and I'm just, oh, wow. No way. And I'm just, I'm doing this over and over again. Um, and when she reads her book, have you ever, like, said a word when you're reading? I don't know if you've ever said a word. She, it's, and I'm just like, oh, you gotta, you gotta, and, and I, I'm, I'm, surprise, surprise, I'm interrupting her. And she says to me, in, in wonderful Andrea fashion, you do know I'm reading, right? <laughs> to which I responded, <laughs> to which I responded, babe, I know you're reading. And I'm, I'm willing to say, if what you're reading is better than what I'm reading, I'll be quiet and you can read it to me. But I'm telling you, what I'm about to read you, read to you is going to blow your mind. And by the way, I'm not even saying like she, she reads great stuff. So it's, but what I'm reading is really, really, really good. And thank you for being patient with me. But uh, literally this morning when we get together to have coffee, I'm like, okay, here's what I read yesterday. And I can see the eyes rolling. Like I'm not, I'm not waking up in the morning going, oh, I just wish I could really like Edwin Friedman more. He's the author of this book I'm reading. And that's not me. No, it's... It has so ignited my imagination. It has so helped me understand what is going in my life and on in my life and in the world. I can't help but speak about them. And it's the same thing for you. Did you see that game? Like something is happening in your heart and in your mind. Something is, is going on and you are responding to it in similar fashion. Come and see. And so I really believe that instead of just feeling bad about what you're not doing, again, the answer is Jesus. That being reminded of who he is and falling in love with him and being reminded of the transformative power that only he can provide through his Holy Spirit is really the, the, the thing that changes everything else. Notice how the text describes it beginning in verse 40. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard John and followed him. And he first found his own brother Simon and told him, we have found the Messiah. I doubt if every day they were looking for him, but something that Jesus had done, something that Jesus had said, something that John had said about Jesus triggers this. Now, you and I so wish, at least I really wish, that there were more interactions about what it actually took for the disciples to go and to follow Jesus. We really don't have a lot. It almost looks like um, that there is a very, very short conversation, there's a very small interaction, and then these disciples are selling their boats and ready to do everything. And, and I don't think that that is probably the most accurate way to read the text. I know that's what Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John say, but just like many of us, when we're kind of retelling our stories. So anyway, so I was at Youthquake, 
And there was this one speaker, and he just was describing what Jesus Christ had done for me, and I just lost it. And it was then I knew that I needed to give my life to Jesus Christ. I've heard that story. Probably very similar to many of our stories. I guarantee you there's a Sunday school teacher going, "Um, so all the years I invested in you meant nothing? There's a mother going, are you kidding me? (laughs) After all that I have done for you and reading Bible stories and some youth pastor who decided to tell some exciting story, he's the one that gets all the credit? No, it's lots of things that are adding up, but in the end, it's Jesus. And so I don't believe that these gospel writers are, they don't even seem to care about Andrew's journey They don't even seem to be trying to unpack all of what Peter wrestled with or what Matthew had to go through to to walk away from his uh, occupation previously. It's like, no, 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 no. I got to get to Jesus. That's the point of this narrative. And so when Andrew knows this, Andrew does what Andrew knows to do, which is he tells his brother, you got to come see this. And then he brought Simon to Jesus. Jump down to verse 44 through 46. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the hometown of Andrew and Peter. And then Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one that Moses wrote about and the prophets, Jesus, uh, Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Now this gives you kind of some of the interaction, some of the little bit of what is, is going on. Nathanael responds with, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Good question, Nathaniel. Now, I don't think he meant this. It's amazing how we can say things and not fully understand what we mean. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? That that word good is a similar word when someone walks up to Jesus in Matthew's gospel and says, good teacher. And Jesus says to him, good? Why do you call me good? There is no one good but who? But God. Nathaniel asks, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Mm-hmm. Literally, if you want to have that categorization, good, and, and meet it that intentionally, Bethlehem and Nazareth later on, Capernaum, is the only place from which the good one came. Surprise, surprise. Who Jesus is and where he has come from is more than you know. It's, it's more than you can appreciate. And that's why it's good for us to be reminded on a regular basis. And that's why we keep unpacking the Bible, to be reminded on a regular basis um, that Jesus is more than we know. But he's enough. And our, even our understanding of him can be enough that we can begin the journey. That we can begin the journey. That you don't need to know everything. You don't need to have to explain everything. But you, I, I believe you, you know enough to begin the process. You, you know enough to start the conversation. You know enough so that you can make known who Jesus Christ is and what Jesus Christ has done for you. I'm not asking you to manufacture that feeling. I'm asking you to focus on who Jesus Christ is. I think you'd be Uh, pleasantly surprised about what the Holy Spirit would then lead you to do. 
Now, I think it's also important that we realize, and, and by this repeated language, and we're going to see it throughout the gospel, so a little bit of a preview of coming attractions, this is going to happen over and over and over again. And they brought people to Jesus, and they brought people to Jesus, and they brought people to Jesus. Because why? Because when, when we find that Jesus is not enough, we want to bring people to the other things around Jesus. Andrew doesn't say, I've met these friends, and they're awesome. You need to come join us. We are going to have such a good time. That's not what he says. You need to come. I mean, honestly, Jesus has got a really cool plan, and he's going to start doing these things, and they're really, really cool. you got to come join us. No. Have you noticed that there's a lot of brokenness that is actually in the world? You need to come, because Jesus is going to come fix it. No. You need to come see Jesus. Now, by the way, I'm not saying that those other things aren't important, but I think it is mission critical, God-honoring central that we see the value and the primacy of Jesus above all other things. John's gospel doesn't seem to let you veer off too much from that. It's um, Jesus and then Jesus and then Jesus. We don't introduce, bring people to, or invite people to us. The story of us, who we are and what we are about. Nope. Now, by the way, I like us. I'm grateful for us. And we need to be more like a Jesus, Jesus version of us. And I do believe that there is something that can either be attractive or repulsive by us as we follow Jesus. I totally get all of those things. I'm not trying to abdicate in any sense of the word, what it actually means about our responsibility. But in reality, since I know us, and I know that we're going to fail, and I know that we're not, and by the way, when I say fail, I don't mean everybody but you. That's usually how we like to talk about it, when we, people describe the, the people of God and how they failed. I've never had anybody say, and it was me. It's always everybody else but me. No, I know me. And so I know us. But it's really interesting that what the disciples do, they never talk about, you got to come hang out with us. It's come and see Jesus. Come and know who he is. I would even say that for those people who are finding themselves destructing their faith, or they like to call it deconstructing their faith, uh, refiguring things out, it's amazing how much of this begins to stand central and I can both appreciate and understand the journey. I know what it's like to rethink thoughts that I've had a long time ago. And in light of new information to rethink those thoughts, that's, that's normal. That's, that's what Nathaniel is going to be doing for the next three years. That's what Peter is going to be doing for the next three years. Like, do you know people, young people or older people who are beginning to rethink their faith? And what's interesting is part of the deconstruction process has to do with the church, the people of God. And I've often wondered, like, why is that such a big deal? And I'm beginning to believe, in part, hear me, I don't, I don't think there's ever like a one answer, but I, I think a lot of the deconstruction that is actually happening is the result or the, um, the failure of us as the church to win people to witness to who Jesus is. In the end, we got them excited about us. 
We got excited about a group of friends who were always going to be there for them. And guess what they found out when they showed up? We're not always there for them. Are we? We're not always there for them. Now they don't know if they can trust Jesus anymore. And you feel terrible about it because hopefully you even realize maybe that's partly my fault. Again, I'm not trying to abdicate anything. I'm trying to say, I think I was wrong. I remember Andrew and I, when we were in ministry in Illinois, it was a small town, and so I literally thought, I think over a couple of years, I can have everybody in this town over to my house. It wasn't as calculating. I, I thought, I think I thought, right? That's so much of our thinking, is I think I thought that if I can't get them to love Jesus, I can just, I can, I can sure make them love me. Um, and, and then kind of Jesus is an add-on. It was never that clear in my thinking. But I think if you were to watch me, you could, you could realize how that, how that works. Moms and dads, what you're really calling your children to is you're trying to um, impart faith to them, as you're trying to lead them. Um, and I get it. There even needs to be a time in which we piggyback off of the faith of others. That's, that's part of the the growing up in faith process. But in the end, like, did they ever own the faith for themselves? Really feel like I need to do this for my mom, you know, she's sick, and so I'm gonna get baptized this weekend. Totally get what you're saying. There can be a way in which that can totally fit in, fit in, fit in under God's plan of redemptive restoration. And there's also a sentimentality that makes me concerned. I don't think you understand who you're really connecting to here. So are you saying that it's not about us at all? I'm just saying that it might explain what's happening in part. Because we don't, can I just say it? I don't know how much we really believe Jesus can fulfill them can satisfy them. And where Jesus can't, we'll fill in. We'll, we'll, we'll supply that. That's not how the Bible speaks. The Bible speaks about Jesus being completely, completely satisfying. And in addition to that, there is also the body of Christ. Do you understand that? They work together. They work together. Like we don't, we don't win people to our programs Parent Connect, Financial Peace University, Stephen Ministry. Man, I love Stephen Ministry. Stephen Ministry is an awesome opportunity for people who need to have care to have someone else come alongside them and to care for them and to listen to them and to just walk alongside them at a moment of grief. It's, a, it's an incredible, incredible ministry. I, I just know it's the human tendency to not need Jesus because I have a Stephen Minister. You need to hear our, uh, our, our preacher preach, or you need to hear our worship. It's so amazing, and we have these programs. Um, and by the way, if, if, if Jesus can't do it for you, we've got a dance coming up. Right, Rachel? Right, Jack? We've got this dance that's coming up. And so on, we want you to come and be a part of it. And I, I don't know if Jesus can do anything, but if you want to have some fun, we want you to come to that. No. Like this is a context in which people who know him and have him front and center do this. This is a really, really big one. We do not call people to our own good works. 
to our own good works. We're, we're going to make a difference in our community. I want to be part of a church that makes a difference in our, in our community. That's what I'm looking for. I want to, our daily bread, are we doing something with them? And, and by the way, yes to, to community. Yes to good programs that edify and equip. Yes to good works. But what you don't want, what, what is actually fundamentally broken and what creates this, this cycle of, I'm rethinking this is when all of a sudden something disappears. Us has a dark side. Programs aren't cool anymore. Good works aren't the good works that you think are the most important good works. Then all of a sudden, you don't know if Jesus is there for you. You don't know if it's worth it. That's how you know something is broken. John 6, somebody standing at the back of the line looking at this meal as the disciples are handing it out and the disciples are going, man, finally we're doing something. We're finally meeting the needs of people. So what do we hear? I don't know, something about a free meal. Nobody even knew to ask. So how did this happen? Who made this meal? Doesn't matter. As long as our bellies are full. Can you imagine what it would be like if someone in John 6, when Jesus multiplied the loaves and the fish, and behold, I am the bread that has come down from heaven. Unless you eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you will have no part with me. You will have no peace with God. Yeah, can I get this to go, Jesus? Hey, can I just get this to go? I'm guilty of, of putting the good things of God ahead of God as a church. And I believe unintentionally, I really, really do. I think I know us well. Unintentionally, we put it in front of, or if nothing else, if we're all honest, we are quickly satisfied like a child who doesn't understand what the teacher has done, like an employee that doesn't understand all that was, like, a, like somebody with a mother. It's, you, didn't, you didn't wake up this morning, how can I be ungrateful? You just failed to recognize there was more. And, and I don't say that for any other reason than to just say, is it not good to just stop for a moment and realize that Jesus is better? Like he's better than us. And he's, I mean, I heard we're having a dance, I guess, coming up. Someone was telling me about it. And I heard it's going to just be amazing. It's going to be life-changing. And it's still not as good as Jesus. And I'm glad that we're going to build houses and package up food to send to another part of the world. I'm really, really glad that we're still involved in all of these different places and we're doing good things. And Jesus Christ is still greater. If you want to do a good job helping those around us not deconstruct our faith to the point where we have nothing left, I promise you, you'll never, you'll never deconstruct your faith if you have Jesus at the center. You'll never deconstruct your faith and find out He's not that. He's not enough. Unless you have a version of Jesus that you've just constructed. That's what the gospel wants us to realize. That's what the gospel wants us to know. So that's point one, Alexia. It took me a little longer than yours, but that's, that's point one. That's what, that's what you meant to say, isn't it? That's what you meant to say? 
Yeah. So the second one is this, and it's a little shorter, and it's uh, probably more powerful. If I was John, I would have put this at the front of it. Um, Not only do we bring people to Jesus, well, who is this Jesus that we bring people to? And I love this, that we bring people to Jesus because Jesus has first come to us. I want you to turn to the book of Zechariah. So for those of you that are on version, you're going to get there a lot quicker. Zechariah is a prophet. And so if you're looking through your Bible, the big books, right? Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel. Um, and then you just keep on going. You're going to find a small little book, what, 10, 12 chapters, something like that. Zechariah. He's a prophet in the Old Testament. And he's going to be calling out to God's people. And here's what I love. It's what John the Baptist knew. It's the reason why when Andrew and I believe John walk away... John doesn't go, oh, what am I doing wrong? We need to rethink this. I need a new, I need a new brand. <laughs> I need to rethink my brand. I, I, I need to, we need a new marketing strategy. I don't think they understand what I can offer. That's not, this is by design, John. I must decrease, he must increase. Zechariah is going to make some very powerful statements. Zechariah chapter one, verses two through six. The Lord was extremely angry with your ancestors, Zechariah says. Now, by the way, before you go, wow, why is God always angry? He's not always angry. But in the same way that you are deeply concerned or upset by injustice, the Lord is too. The Lord is deeply, deeply, deeply um, moved by injustice and brokenness and um, everything from idolatry to adultery and more. And God is deeply disturbed. Now, he loves enough to not just walk away, but to stay engaged and to send prophets. So that's why he sent Zechariah. I am deeply angry, and I'm not going to give up on you. So tell the people, this is what the Lord of armies says, return to me. This is what the declaration of the Lord of armies, and I will return to you. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of armies. Don't be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, this is what the Lord of armies says, turn from your evil ways and your evil deeds. But they did not listen or pay attention to me. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors now? Answer, they didn't return and so they died. And do the prophets live forever? Answer, no. Isaiah, gone. Jeremiah, gone. Ezekiel, gone. Right? John the Baptist, done. Done. And God keeps sending those who will speak for him. And they say, return to me. Thus say, notice how many times it was thus says the Lord. Says the Lord. The Lord of armies. Says the Lord of armies. The declaration of the prophets is return to God and God will return to you. This is the Lord's declaration. Where are your ancestors? They didn't return. Where are the prophets? The prophets can't save you. But didn't my words and my statutes, which outlive prophets, which outlive good works, which outlive us all. Didn't my words and my statutes that I commanded my servants, the prophets, overtake your ancestors? Meaning, didn't they just come true? Like, isn't my word the one thing that you can count on? And the answer is yes. Then I'm going to say it again. Return to me and I will return to you. And what Philip and Nathaniel and Andrew and Peter were looking for was Jesus to come back, or God to return, and that is Jesus coming back. Take a look. It's not going to appear on the screen, but take a look at verses 37 and 38 of our text. I'm not just pulling that Zechariah text out of nowhere. 
There is a very strange word that happens, and it's, 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 hard to, to, it's hard to really kind of get the nuance until you realize like that word is not just a normal word. It's a word that actually draws added attention to itself. If you look at verses 37 and 38, here's what it draws the attention to. These are the two disciples. This is Andrew and uh, I believe John. The two disciples heard him say this, that he's the Lamb of God, and they followed him. Verse 38. When Jesus turned, that, that's not just, what? It's actually the word that is used in Zechariah. It's an intentional turning towards to receive and to embrace. What, what, what John is actually getting at here is that what is going on with Jesus turning to these disciples and then Jesus offering the invitation to come and follow me because they had turned to him is a fulfillment of Zechariah chapter 1. Turn to me and I will return to you. And what John is so excited about, the unnamed disciple, what John is so willing to then invite other peoples to be a part of is this, he's finally here. And he has returned like he has promised. And now let us all turn to him. Look at verses 49 through 51. Why is Jesus so important to turn to? Rabbi Nathaniel said, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And it's Nathaniel, you're going to make lots of statements about me. And you could keep talking about me. And you'll never get to the end of who I am. So if you don't think you know everything about Jesus, you never will. He will always be exceedingly more and greater than anything we would ever, ever, ever know or appreciate. And Jesus responded to him, do you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You're going to see greater things than this. There's going to be seven great miracles that they're going to see starting next week with the water to wine. And then he said, truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. That's a reference to a story that happens in the Old Testament where Jacob is trying to figure out who he is. And in this troubling journey that he is on, he sees this vision of a stairway going up to heaven and angels ascending and descending. And after he's done that encounter, he says, I need to call this place Bethel. Beth meaning house, El meaning God, house of God. I need to call this place Bethel, for the Lord is, is, is here. He has come down here. And, and Jesus says, Nathaniel, um, you've always been looking for, Israel was looking for a place. They were looking for so many things. And in the end, Jesus says, I want you to know like I am the place. I, I am the one who has created this. The reason why we invite people to Jesus and not to ourselves or to our programs, well, you know why that is? Is because only Jesus can pro provide an opening up to God. Everything else has a shelf life. What you and I are actually excited about and finding joy and pleasure in, both personally and then responsibly when we invite others and encourage others to follow Jesus, is that we say we have found the one who can satisfy. We have found the one who restores us and returns us to God. And, and by the way, in reality, the beauty of it is you don't have to fully understand all of what that means. It's almost like that statement that Jesus gives to Nathaniel. It's just kind of left. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Okay, more? Yeah. The rest of the book is going to be unpacking that. But what Jesus points out and what John loves to point out and what Andrew was pointing out was, I don't know all about him, but I know enough about him. 
And that's what we do every Sunday when we gather around the Lord's table. We literally come to Jesus and we say, you don't have to know everything about him. You just have to know enough about him. You have to know the truth about him, the Lamb of God that comes to take away the sin of the world, the Holy One of Israel, the King of Israel. You might not understand all of what it means to be his subject in his kingdom, but do you know enough? Do you know enough that when Jesus said, this is my body, take it and eat it, that you realize that it was given for you? If you know that, then with me, let's take it and eat. I do not know all of what I just ate, and I never will. Tastes great. Here's the cup representing his blood given for us take it and drink I do not know all of what Jesus Christ has forgiven in me but I know that I am forgiven now let us stand and sing and I promise you you will not know all of what you are about to sing but that which you know I pray that you will sing well and let us give glory and honor to the God that is so deserving